I'm Chance Dorland, and welcome to the Oink Only in Korea podcast, brought to you by KoreaFM.net, an online radio station featuring independent musicians and original podcast content from the Korean Peninsula. As always, I'm joined by Travis Hole, the man behind the Only in Korea Facebook group. And, you know, Travis, we have a lot to talk about today, but before we get started, uh, let's give, uh, you know, some time where time is due, spring has arrived here in Seoul. I've been walking around with just a light jacket for the first time in God knows how long. It's been rather pleasant. Yeah, it is very nice here now. Like uh, in the last week or two, it's kind of warmed up. And where I work, there's even some flowers kind of starting to bloom on not not cherry blossoms, but like I know some yellow flowers on a couple trees out there. So that's... Yeah, cherry blossoms would be April, right? Is that when that's yeah, going to happen? Yeah, I think that's in like a couple weeks here in Seoul anyway. First week of April. I think I read that they were going to come early this season, um, but just like <laughs> just like how the cherry blossoms come every year, it seems that the stories about where the trees actually come from will start showing up. You know, I, I remember Japan and Korea, was it last year? They got into the fight about where the, the tree actually belonged, and then China threw in, and they're like, well, actually, we think they came from China, so screw all y'all. Huh. Yeah, there's always. It seems like in East Asia, there's always like a season for fighting about certain things with the neighbors here. Like, it seems like um, I saw an article today about how China's uh, upset about Japan's textbooks. So I'm sure Korea shall will um, jump in the game on that again soon. Uh, but yeah, last year they were fighting about cherry blossoms. So there's always a season for whatever argument between these countries, uh, you know, can present can present can present itself. But at least now it's warm. If they're going to argue, let's have some nice, uh, you know, light jacket, sweater weather. Yeah, but now, I mean, now that it's warm, it seems like the air quality has kind of gone down or not not so good anymore. Yeah, recently they've they've had a few uh, bad days. I don't pay attention to the, the numbers, probably just because um, I don't wear any type of mask or anything. So, you know, <laughs> I don't want to know if I'm going to die because of air pollution. But um, it's it's been noticeable maybe in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, you can kind of see it in the air. And I, I kind of looked at the I look at the website, um, Asia Air Quality, and it's like ranked. I mean, sometimes it gets to the point where it says unhealthy. I, I don't know what that means, but it's like 160 something. But then when you look at China, you know, China has cities that are 999. I saw one the other day on there that was 999. So, I mean, that's comparable to China. It's not too bad here, um, but it does. There are days where it's noticeable in the air. I gotta tell you though, anytime you compare yourself to China and you say, "Well, it's not too bad," eh, it's probably not that great. I mean, <laughs> I think I think the worst I've seen it in Korea is like four hundred. Is it four hundred micro particles per million? Is that how it's measured? You're you're going above my pay grade. I've I've actually interviewed um, a representative from Greenpeace here in uh, here in South Korea. Um, I think it was I believe it was last year they did a joint study between Greenpeace and Harvard that basically proved that. Um, popular mentality here in South Korea is wrong. If you ask a lot of people, especially Koreans, you know, where this yellow dust, you know, this air pollution comes from, they'll say, oh, it comes from China. Now, a large portion does come from China, but according to this uh, joint Greenpeace and Harvard study that I believe once again came out last year, um, 50% or more comes from coal plants here in South Korea. And Unlike China, South Korea is kind of moving forward with coal, and their excuse has been, you know, the government response has been, well, we've already had these coal projects, you know, on the 
uh, these projects, you know, planned for so long, you know, we're not just going to give up once we've, you know, got them planned. Maybe 20 years from now, we won't be building anymore. And, and I understand there's probably a legitimate argument there to some extent. But uh, Greenpeace has really started to call out South Korea on this so much so um, I've been in contact with Greenpeace again they're starting an active campaign to kind of shame South Korea into giving up some of its coal uh-huh. um, and so uh, I-, I haven't interviewed them about that specifically that's still an ongoing project I'm working on but uh, I did see that they have a campaign up on the web and this is one of their new initiatives but Hey, man, enough about that. It's warm. Let's just uh, take take what we can get. Um, like I mentioned, we have a lot to talk about on the show today. Today, we're going to discuss a new survey from The Economist that reports that Seoul is the eighth most expensive city, um, you know, ranked ranked by cost of living in the entire world. However, before we get to that topic, uh, let's hear a voicemail message that a listener left us after hearing last week's episode where we talked about unsafe driving and parking here in the ROK. Hello, Korea FM. Today, before I left for work, I listened to Only in Korea, Parking and Driving in Korea podcast. And I noticed that you said that it's not a very good idea to leave the car in neutral when you're waiting on a stoplight. From all my friends who are engineers or car mechanics, uh, they all say that you should always go into neutral when, you're, when your car is not in motion because you uh, reduce the vibrations and you leave the engine in an idle state because it's not driving. When you put the car into a driving gear, the car tries to move forward, but you are stopping it with the brake. And by and when the car tries to move forward, the engine is into a higher RPM than in its idle state. So if you want to maintain your car and if you want to drive your car, let's say, for a long time without any problems, it's better to go into neutral when you're waiting on a stoplight. Also, if you're thinking about accidents, if somebody hits you from the back and you're into driving gear, the energy from the impact is going to be absorbed by the car. But if you're in neutral, when somebody hits you in the back, it's going to push the car forward because there's no engine to stop the car from moving forward. So yeah, that's my opinion. Good job on the podcast and keep up the good work. Well, that's nice. Gives us a nice tip of the cap there at the end. Uh, Real quick, before we talk about this, you can leave us a voice message about uh, any of the topics we've covered, or if you want us to consider covering a topic we haven't discussed here on the program, koreafm.net slash voicemail. Now, uh, speaking of traffic, uh, Travis, I'm going to throw you under the bus here. I never said, uh, he said you, but uh, I never said I was against putting your car in neutral at a stoplight. I just noted that I saw that it was rather common for Korean taxi drivers to do that. Uh, so, uh, Travis, defend yourself. Initially, I thought I might be wrong about that, but I went and kind of researched uh, his comment on the Internet, and it seemed like there was quite a bit of disagreement uh, between whether or not you should put it in neutral or not. There were People were saying if you have an automatic, you should definitely keep it in drive, um, but it would probably be okay with a manual to switch it into neutral. Um all, he, this guy has a lot of friends who are mechanics and engineers, I guess, uh, who advised him to um, to put it in neutral. But as far, I mean, he does kind of bring it up. I wasn't quite, I didn't quite understand what he said, but he was saying that I think if you were in neutral, you would be pushed into traffic, which I thought, you know, obviously would be unsafe if you were in neutral, your car would roll right into traffic. So, I mean, that would be one reason maybe you wouldn't want to keep it in neutral. But it seemed there was quite a bit of disagreement. Um, 
among people who are commenting on this topic on like car forums on the internet. So I guess we'll just have to like agree to disagree on that one. Probably. You got to hang out with more uh, engineers and mechanics and see what they say, Travis. I feel like you don't have enough friends in that field. I guess I don't. I, I just always thought that was kind of a ridiculous habit. Um, it seems, as I mentioned last podcast, it, it seems a bit odd. If you're driving a manual transmission, absolutely, you always shift it in the neutral. But um, I've always draw, uh, driven an automatic. I've driven for, God, I'm 30 now, and uh, I've driven since I was 16, basically, um, as you have as well, because we're both from the, the, the same area in the United States where that's pretty common. Um, I would never shift my car neutral into an automatic, so that seemed a little odd to me, but I understand what he's saying because when you're in drive, your car wants to go. And so if you're in drive, you're going to have your foot on the brake, which means that your car is actually moving forward, but you're stopping it from moving forward. But if you flip it into neutral, it's not going to move forward on its own unless you're, you know, you're on a hill or something. So, you know, I would never do that. But, uh, you know, that seemed like a decent comment. Touche, listener. Also, I just want to mention, um, we changed the pitch a little bit on that. So um, if you actually heard the original voicemail message, it sounded very different than that. Um, so if you want to leave us kind of an anonymous message, uh, feel free to do so. You know, I don't think anyone's going to come beating down your door and tell you that you're wrong about shifting into neutral after you uh, show up on the podcast. So once again, that's creefm.net slash voicemail. Uh, but Travis, you know, I think you made a good, a good point. I, I, I think the jury's still out on this. You know, perhaps he's right. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps it's somewhere in the middle. But uh, let's move on now. We're talking again, uh, once again, about a new report that puts Seoul as the eighth most expensive city in the entire world for cost of living, um, which is the highest ranking, actually, that the city has ever received in the 30 years or so that they've been doing this survey. Um, I actually spoke with a member of the team that put together that report to learn how they calculated the rankings and why Seoul got such a high spot. So we'll listen to that. We'll come back, kind of go through some of the points that this person made, and then we'll discuss the results of our Only in Korea poll as well. My name is Roxana Slavchiva. And I'm a cities economist at the EIU, but I'm also one of the editors of the Worldwide Cost of Living Survey. It was initially created in order to um, determine the cost of living allowances for expats moving to a different location than their original office. So it allows to create a remuneration package um, to kind of individually tailor the compensation programs. So the cost of living in the Bay City is always expressed as 100. And we're using the Bay City as New York. So we're looking at uh, categories such as food, clothing, utility bills, transport, recreation, etc. Out of the 133 cities surveyed, three Asian cities feature among the top 10 most expensive. So Singapore, Hong Kong, and of course Seoul. So Seoul, um, you know, it's in joint eighth place this year. So it's, it's ranking number eight along with Copenhagen and Denmark and Los Angeles in the U.S., but the dynamics have changed over time. So we've seen a lot of the Asian cities ranking, you know, kind of uh, moving up and down from the top 10. For instance, in Tokyo is a good example. The deflation and devaluation of the, the Japanese yen have pushed Tokyo and Osaka further down the ranking, actually. So Tokyo is now lying at 11th place. Well, you know, only just a few years ago, it used to be the most expensive city. But the kind of the Tokyo example is in inverse relation to the rise of Seoul. It lies at number eight now, but just five years ago, it was at number 36. And if we go into why that's the case, um, I guess 
curiously, when we look at the most expensive uh, cities by category, the Asian cities, kind of like the regional overview, um, they tend to appear as the priciest locations for grocery shopping, for instance, and Seoul is the most expensive for everyday food items. Um, you know, relative to New York, it's it's 33% more expensive for groceries. It's 28% more expensive for domestic help and 10% more expensive for transport costs. So, um, you know, relative to New York, the rest of the categories, it's um, slightly uh, cheaper. But, you know, those are the three, kind of the groceries, uh, domestic help, and transport costs. Um, those are some of the categories that really stand out. But, of course, relative to other cities other than New York, um, so we'll be ranking differently and may need to look into the prices of other categories as well. So basically, uh, I think the big takeaway from what we just heard is that it's 133 cities this year compared to the base city, which was New York. So obviously, it's going to be skewed for that. Um, I've lived in New York City for six months. Um, you know, there are a lot of costs there that are going to be very different in other cities or not even on your radar. So. That's the first thing to talk about. Um, then it talks about Seoul, number eight. It's actually a three-way tie between Copenhagen and Los Angeles. I also lived in Los Angeles, and I got to tell you, um, hands down, cheaper to live in Seoul than, than L.A. At least that was back uh, 2009 when I did. I, I don't think it would be any different if I lived in L.A. now. Um, and also maybe the third thing to take away from this is that it really depends how well your country's um, currency is doing. So um, the woman that uh, we just heard from made the point that Tokyo used to be number one. But now it's pushed all the way back to number 11. And something else that she mentioned in the interview, which I didn't include in this clip, is that the dollar has gotten so valuable now that all the American cities that are on the list, I believe it's 15 of them, have all moved up in their rankings simply because the dollar is worth more, not necessarily because anything has changed in the city. Um, and then finally, as she mentioned, Asian cities tend to be the most expensive for grocery shopping. Um, this is going to come up in our poll that we had in the Only in Korea Facebook group, Travis. And uh, Seoul, unfortunately, and I believe this to be true, most expensive for everyday food items. Yeah, I, I basically agree. I mean, the cost of imported fruit in Korea is is almost, um, you know, it almost makes you want to cry when you see the some of the prices that they ask people to pay, like, you know, three mangoes for 10 bucks or something. I interviewed a guy one time, he's British, and he went to Wimbledon, you know, the tennis tournament, yeah. and he said he bought like a pack of strawberries there, which is, by the way, a huge indicator that he's not American, because like, what American would buy strawberries at a sporting event? It was really refreshing to hear that from him, and he said that the pack of strawberries he bought at Wimbledon were less expensive than what a normal package of strawberries costs here in Seoul. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I guess it doesn't really surprise me. I think... The problem with the, the price of fruit here is that there's middlemen involved in importing it, from what I understand. And Well, but a lot of the fruit you buy here in Korea is domestic. Oh, that too. I mean, but some domestic fruit is reasonably priced. Like, if you buy those... Uh, I don't think any fruit in Korea is reasonably priced. I think the tangerines, like a bag of those for two bucks or three bucks in the winter is reasonable. Um, sometimes you can get a, a bunch of strawberries for five bucks towards the end of the season. Sometimes I've seen it for three. I mean, that's probably the cheapest, but some domestic... Probably a little bit of mold on those strawberries, Travis. I, I've been there. I buy those moldy strawberries to get the good price. Yeah, I mean, if sometimes they'll bundle them if you buy three for ten. I mean, If that, you buy like, a whole box, I've bought a, um, a whole box of, uh, of grapes for like around 10 or $11, and I made sure I ate them quickly because I didn't want them to go bad, but that was a pretty good deal. And I've uh, purchased a whole 
uh, box of like Gule, the tangerines yeah. from from Jeju, and that's been a pretty good deal. But unless you throw down a large amount of money to buy a box of fruit, and you know, I live with my girlfriend, so we can kind of manage that, and we also just make sure we eat like a ton of fruit every day for a week. You know, it's really impractical. I I, I really don't think that there there's really any what you would call cheaply priced fruit here, but you have to you have to look around for it though. Like the, some of the guys who sell fruit out of trucks, um, if it comes straight from the farm, or some of these smaller markets, they do have deals on fruit. You just have to be really looking for it. Um, apples sometimes become cheap in in the fall when there's a when there's a lot of them, but you have to kind of really pick and choose what fruit um, is in season. That will be the cheapest fruit. I mean, it's the fruits that's in season and it's domestic. Um, and even that, like you said, is, it's, it's expensive usually. But sometimes you can find good deals. The one thing that's very interesting, and this will also come up uh, when we discuss the poll results here shortly, is that um, I've been traveling a lot recently. Um, and we went to Jeju. My girlfriend and I, we went to, to Busan. I also took a trip to Guangzhou a little bit ago. And I've noticed that there are very different um, – prices, huge discrepancies, you know, talking to people about how much they pay for apartments and then just going to restaurants and stuff like that. Coffee and eating out in Busan is the cheapest I've ever experienced in in, in Korea. It's amazing. Um, But I got to tell you, everywhere I've gone recently, fruit is still expensive. It's really weird how there really is no cheap place for fruit in South Korea. Um, But like I mentioned, let's get back to to the poll. So let's go through some of these poll results. Um, This is also another very uh, popular poll. All of the polls that we've been having in the Only in Korea Facebook group have gotten a lot of attention recently. Travis, let's go through this. What was the number one response and uh, what was the question that we asked? We asked if if they agreed with the um, Economist Intelligence Unit report um, that Seoul is the eighth most expensive city in the world out of 133 surveys. And we asked Oink members if they agreed with that um, with that analysis, and um, we kind of just asked them to sound off and give us opinions um, in voting format or you know in poll format. And um, yeah, there were there were close to a hundred responses. I don't you know it's hard because people can vote twice, so sometimes people do that. But the number one um, most commented topic or most voted topic got forty two votes. Um, and there, that opinion was that fruit and other food items are too expensive. Transportation and other costs are otherwise reasonable for a large city. Yes, this is the this is the one that I submitted. You put up the poll and you put up all your choices, and then I threw this one in there, and it quickly rose to the top. Well, it was close. You were you won the poll by about three votes or so. I really got my finger on the pulse of Korea, Travis. So you can't you can't <laughs> deny it. But what were you, what were you saying about this? I've already given my piece about about fruit. I wouldn't say fruit's the most unreasonable thing about, I mean, meat is way more expensive than fruit. And I mean, there's other products that you need here that are, that are worse expenses than just fruit. Um, dairy products, cheese is ridiculously expensive. Um, I actually just read, did you see that article? Apparently they have um, an overabundance of uh, milk in Korea right now. Yeah, milk isn't bad now. You do sometimes see it bundled together where it's like you get one you buy one milk and you get a, you know, like, I don't know what they sell it in, liters. You get a liter free. You buy a liter, get a liter. I see that sometimes. So, yeah, it looks like there's – but for some reason, they don't really produce really good cheese here. It's like um, like Kraft Singles from the States. Yeah, Kraft Singles is, is real cheese here, and it's very expensive. And it, they have, like, you know, 20 different flavors of Kraft Singles. They have uh, – you know, <laughs> If you like Kraft Singles, you better get your butt to Korea. <laughs> 
But they do have imported cheese, and that's becoming more common, but it isn't cheap. I mean, unless you go to Costco, you can get a big, you know, brick of Wisconsin cheese for, I don't know, I think it's 12 bucks or 10 bucks maybe. Uh, speaking of Costco, have you been to Costco lately? I have seen, I've been to Costco once. A friend of mine has a uh, membership, and, and truthfully, my girlfriend and I eat out a lot, and we don't have a very big refrigerator, so maybe it's not the thing for us. But, I, I, you know, I'm a fan of what Costco represents. But apparently when you go to Costco now, the lines are just ridiculous because people will check out with, like, three or four carts. Um, and the the posts that I've seen on, on Facebook from my friends basically have insinuated that these are people who like own restaurants or are just going to resell these products for a higher price. Which, I mean, is kind of the point of Costco. I mean, you can operate a business based on Costco. Like, it's a wholesale market. So, um, you know, some people do, they run online sites where they buy stuff from Costco and then resell it to people who are too lazy to go to Costco and deal with all the bullshit um, that goes into going to Costco. It's ironic because the people who make money by selling stuff from Costco, the mere fact that they do that actually increases their profit because it makes it harder for people who just go to Costco to buy things. It is, I mean, it is a mission to go to Costco, especially on the weekends. That place is going to be just jam-packed with people. So it's a, I mean, it's kind of a, it's it's nice to have foreign products, but it, it, it does kind of become stressful going to Costco. I mean, it's, it's a necessary evil if you want to have foreign food. <laughs> Much like if Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination, voting for Hillary Clinton is a necessary evil. If you don't get the fish, eat the chicken, everybody. Necessary <laughs> evil. I, I like that, Travis. Um, but it, it also something worth noting is that Costco here is not um, – Costco here is really not like a real Costco. It's kind of like um, – you know, the best you could expect in South Korea. It's mostly a lot of booze and, as you mentioned, like some cheese. Yeah, they're they're doing better. I would say it's like 80% foreign food and then like 20% domestic products that are like, that are made in Korea. Um, Suji's Deli, or Suji's, I, I think that's the name of it, Suji, they have a couple restaurants around the city. They sell like chicken breasts and stuff, so that's domestically produced. And there are products there that like are really targeted towards the Korean market. But there's also, I mean, they're increasingly they're having stuff like, um, you know, there's smoked ham and basically anything you'd want um, to have in your home as a Westerner is available at Costco at this point. There might be a few products like I noticed they don't have um, smoked turkey, for example, um, which a lot of Westerners would like to have like a turkey sandwich once in a while. But that's <laughs> the first time you walked into Costco, you like punched the, the woman that was like standing there offering you a cart because you saw there was no smoked <laughs> turkey. But there's pretty much everything else. I mean, they sell pumpkin pie there and around Thanksgiving, which a lot of foreigners. Oh, like wow. That. OK, well, I, I, oof, I'm going to bite my tongue. I got to go to Costco and get myself a pumpkin pie. Yeah, it's a good selection. I mean, again, with meat and stuff, it is it's pricey to, to shop there because you're, you're buying um, wholesale. So if you buy a pack of steaks or something. I mean, you could probably expect to spend sixty to seventy dollars for a pack of steaks, which is very expensive. You know, so it's not it's not necessarily a cheap place to shop, but it's it has stuff that foreigners tend to like. Yeah, I mean, it's more important here than it ever would be in the United States because not only are you going there to try to save money, but you're going there just to buy products that you more or less could not find uh, here in Korea. Uh, but that that was our number one. Uh, I got my finger on the pulse of Korea here. Fruit really expensive. Everything else is a little bit more reasonable. Uh, what was our number two response? Um, some things are affordable, but others are off the hook expensive. So I think kind of, you know, in relation to the last one too, there's certain things here that are, are more expensive than in other places. 
And what can you think just offhand, something that we haven't talked about yet that um, isn't mentioned in maybe like the top three or four responses in Korea? Um, what, what would it be when it comes to, to Korea that maybe like some hidden costs? I mean, basically anything that comes with going out in Korea is pretty expensive compared to the States. Alcohols, probably cheaper on some levels, but also more expensive depending on what you're drinking. Um, you know, soju, of course, is really affordable. Yeah, if you drink Korean stuff, it's going to be cheaper than anywhere in the States. But if you, especially if you go out and try to buy a bottle of something or even like um, mixed drinks are not the cheapest thing here in South Korea. But once again, compared to some major U.S. cities, it's probably comparable, if not a little bit cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another thing that I, I guess wasn't mentioned, but we don't tip in Korea. That's a savings. I know, I know I'm supposed to be talking about things that are um, making Seoul expensive, but I'm also coming up with a lot of ideas right now about why it's cheap. And it's kind of hard for me actually to think about something that, you know, a hidden cost. Rent, you know, when you pay, um, and that's the third most, um, well, the third most voted topic is that the rent's too damn high. Um, in the Junsei system is absurd, which I agree with. I mean, anytime you have to put down $100,000 on a place just to live there, and you you know you're losing the interest on a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it costs to to live there supposedly for free. That is that is a huge cost, and a lot of people, especially younger Koreans, without the help of their parents, they're not able to do that. And a lot of foreigners, I mean, they basically had to change the system so foreigners could live here, because a lot of people come to Korea and they're young and they can't you know they can't afford to put down a large deposit on an apartment. Yeah, so what you see now is kind of like a hybrid system. I have a friend that lives uh, near you in the HBC area. I think he pays like around four hundred dollars a month, and then he has a deposit that's maybe around like five or ten thousand. Yeah, um, and that's for an apartment that has like three rooms. So like three people pay four hundred dollars a month. So like you know like twelve hundred dollars, and then altogether the deposit is like five or ten thousand. But I gotta tell you, if you have the cash, I, I and I know I, I this is a little bit of a devil's advocate um, theory here. But if you have the money, um, a lot of the time people will say that investing in an apartment, which basically allows you to live rent free, um, if you have the money, it's a great deal. So I, I understand it's hard for people to throw down thousands of dollars to to be able to live in Seoul. Um, but at the same time, if you have the cash, it's a pretty good deal. And I lived in a Goshiwan for a year and a half in Hongdae where my rent was like $250 a month. It was literally a janitor's closet. I mean, one side of my room was my bed. The other side was my desk. And when I opened my door, the door hit the chair of my desk. I mean, this is the smallest apartment you would ever see. I, there are these videos of people who live in these tiny micro apartments in New York City and people are flipping out. It's, it's huge compared to the place that I lived. But I enjoyed it and it was very economical for me. It was great. You can live really cheaply if you if you stay in a Goshiwan or something. But I, just, you know, kind of in response to your comment there, I would say, you know, if in my, where I'm from or where you're from, I mean, $100,000 might not buy you a very good house, but $100,000 would put a great, you know, that would that would probably give you 70% of an amazing house. Yeah, I mean, you get a loan and you'd have a, a yard and like a garage. Yeah, and you could never get, I mean, you could pay $500,000 in Korea and you're not having a yard. You're not having a garage and, you know. Well, you're never going to have a yard in Seoul. Even, I mean, even in the bur- yeah, in the burbs of Seoul, you might be able to get that if you drive out to somewhere like Paju, you might be able to get a place with a yard. But um, I just think for the cost for what you get, and then you get a building, you know, you're, okay, so say you get like a 20-story, 20, 20 you know, a 20-story apartment building, you get an apartment in there. 
that building could potentially be torn down in the future. I mean, even though you're an owner, who's to say that building will still be there in 30 years? So what are you really getting for your, you know, huge investment here? I get, I just, to me, it seems property here is kind of a scam compared to what you get um, elsewhere in the world. Well, while I, I do say that there are people that can win in this system, and, and if you don't have the money, there are other options like the Goshi one, I will absolutely agree with you. I mean, there are just reports every other day that are coming out that talk about people leaving Seoul because they can't compete with the cost. And the cost basically boils down to the Jonsei, the, the high cost of just having a place to live. Um, and that's much lower. That's something that I, you know, when I, when I went to Busan, when I went to Guangzhou, and I went to Jeju recently in the last couple of months, I've been talking to people that live there, and the Jonsei is just ridiculously low there. You so, might be able to, yeah, um, in a city like that, you maybe you could get a place for um, 50 or 60,000 bucks to live. Well, I know people that live in Guangzhou. They, I didn't see their apartments. They were expats, and they told me they had like a giant apartment, and they were paying like $250, $300 a month. I believe they also had like, you know, probably like a $5,000 yeah. know, deposit, but yeah. you get that back. And I mean, I would take that deal. If I if I moved to Guangzhou or somewhere else, I would have a giant apartment because that's that's almost what I was paying in the uh, if, in the Goshiwan. And if my girlfriend and I could, you know, throw down $5,000, we'd get it back whenever we left. So there's there's really no no way to lose in that situation. Yeah, I have a friend in Seoul in the HBC area that got a place. I think he pays no rent and he puts 60 down and their landlord just must like him um, because I don't think he's ever, they've really ever increased that. They maybe increased it like 10,000 uh, once before. Now that's a good uh, point to bring up though. Um, some people get priced out of where they are. So just like in the States where, you know, people that have rent control, they try to kick them out so that they can, you know, boost up the rent because as soon as someone leaves, they can make the next tenant pay more. So I've heard about that happening here as well. So I, I think we're, we're on the same page here. Fruit, you think you can find it if you, if, for cheap price if you look? I think that's BS. But fruit's expensive here. And the Jones say, you know, the benefits and the drawback of the situation, no matter what, it is very expensive. Um, so what were the, uh, the other responses worth mentioning in this poll, Travis? Well, some people kind of, you know, voted for the fact that, um, you know, Seoul, Seoul used to be cheap. It's becoming more expensive. I guess I can kind of see that in 10 years here. Um, food definitely used to be cheaper and going out used to be cheaper. And it seems like, you know, I definitely am making more money than when I first got to Korea. But there are also a lot of people here who are teaching, who taught here for a very long time, who aren't making that much more money. 2.1 million won a month has been the standard for a long time. I mean, that that's what you're getting at. Yeah, well, it has for, for newbies, but if you're here for 10 years, I, I would say, you know, if you're working in a hogwan still and you kept a hogwan, you should be making over over or around probably three. Um, that's like probably around where you want to be. Um, but so you, I guess you would in 10 years. I mean, that would be about double from what I started. I started at 1.6 after taxes. So, I mean, my salary definitely has gone up in that time. I took a really, you know, crappy job my first year here too um but i think you know that my second job was 2.1 and i still see 2.1 being advertised oh yeah 2.1 is still the norm for people who just come here but also people who have been here for a couple years i mean as you as we've discussed before i mean the the industry is not what it used to be no it's not and i mean there's more people that want to come over here and that are learning about teaching esl um in korea just because of the internet, you know, it's a, it's 
uh, that's how I found out about coming to Korea. Is I searched living, living abroad or something after uni, and I think I looked into Taiwan and Korea, and ended up coming to Korea. Um, so yeah, I mean there was more people coming over. Um, uh, some things kind of scare people off, maybe from Korea. You know, the the North Korean situation might keep some people away. Um, and that that's another excellent point to bring up when it comes to any of these um, like polls or surveys when it ranks Korea uh, when it ranks Seoul with other cities around the world. No matter what they're ranking, the people that I've done a lot of interviews about this. This is actually the second time I've interviewed um, someone from the Economist. They always talk about how Seoul suffers from the fact that it's so volatile. Um, you know. You talk to Koreans, they're not afraid of anything happening because they're just used to it for so long. But the perception in, around the world, and especially in the West, is that, you know, light a match and the whole peninsula could light up. Sure. And anytime North Korea acts up, the wan is all over the place. Like we had earlier this January, the wan was one, I think it got to one point where it was 1,250 to the dollar. And now just today I saw it was like 11, 1160 to the dollar. So in just a month, it's we've we've actually the won has gained a hundred won in value versus the dollar, um, and so yeah, it just seems like anytime you know, not always necessarily North Korea either. The the won is um, you know the victim of the the yuan in China and what happens with the yen in Japan. So it's uh, there's a lot of um, factors that control the currency here, and um, you know just a little bit of movement. If you're earning money in Korean won, it costs you a lot of money. Um, especially as an American when the dollar is very strong like it is now. Yeah, everyone's sending money back home to pay off debt or student loans or something like that. Not a good time. I, you're right. I think it was worse in January. I think that was, uh, I can't remember, but that was like a five-year low or something like that. I did a report on that. Um, it is not a good time to, to send money back to the States. It's improved in, in the last month. It's really It really has improved. Yeah, um, I would it's, say it's improved because the last, a month ago it was horrible, but it's not a good time. It's not. It's not. Ideally, I mean, ideally, you'd want to see it sitting around a thousand. You want to see about an equal value. And at one point, I think the best it ever got here uh, since I've lived in Korea was 900. I think it was around 901 to the dollar in, in 2005, 2006. So at that time, you were making money by sending home, sending money home. You know, and now we're we're losing. We're, we're you know, spending, a, we're getting about 80 cents um, for every a thousand we send. So it's, it, it's really not that good. Yeah, it's not a good time to send money at all. But as you mentioned a little while ago, while you were trying to think of things that were, you know, bad cost of living wise for living here in Seoul, it's sometimes a little difficult once you go through, you know, the usual suspects because uh, I live here for a reason. Not only do I enjoy the culture and the food, but uh, financially it's been working for me so far. So um, something that was mentioned a little bit, I believe, with the, the first uh, response, the most popular response was the one that I created. Um, public transportation here. Um, they've recently raised the price a little bit. It's still dirt cheap and it's still wonderful. Yeah, even, I mean, every couple years they raise the price and I've never had a problem with it. It's still below, I think it's still below, you know, $1.50 um, for one-way ticket and then you can transfer that subway ticket to a bus ticket and I think it's very minimal charge to do that. So that's very affordable. But not only that, like I mentioned, you know, when I took a bus to Busan, you can take the KTX, but the bus is just like an hour longer and it's much more comfortable. And a lot of the times the buses now have a USB plug uh, in the back of every seat so you can just do whatever you want. I think the ticket was like 30 bucks one way. Uh, I took a bus to Guangzhou. It was, it was like around that price. My girlfriend and I, we just flew to Jeju Islands. It was $15 each way. Yeah, flights are getting cheap here. Um any kind of transportation is 
fairly reasonable in Korea. I mean, the taxis even are very, uh, you know, way more affordable than they are in the U.S. So transportation is not a problem. Um, again, alcohol to some extent is not a problem. Even eating, you know, Korean meals is relatively cheap if you're willing just to eat Korean food all the time. Um, As I think I've spoken with you, I kind of argue with you about this uh, in the past. I only eat Korean food and I spend like $5 a meal. Now, maybe I'm not eating, you know, the the greatest food. I enjoy it. I think it, it's fine. You know, maybe someone would find a problem with it. But yeah, I spend like 5 or $6 a, a meal and it's great. I just can't eat like a spicy fish in the morning or something. I mean, at my job, they serve, they give us a Western option and a Korean option. If they're nice, they give us the Western option. Sometimes there's not enough employees there, so they just give us the Korean option. And, you know, it's like some spicy soup or something at 7.30 in the morning. I, I just, I can eat Korean food, but I, there's a certain hour um, where it has to be a certain meal, a certain food I can eat. I can eat eggs or toast or something, but I just can't eat like spicy jjigae at 7.30 in the morning. It just doesn't sit well with me at that time. Can't get the South Dakota out of the boy, no, but you can get no. the boy out of South Dakota. Um, but I do like Korean food. Um, I just, I like a variety, like, I like Korean among many different foods, right? So, I mean, it's like, it should be an option among many, not the only option. Well, uh, actually, you live in an area where probably you have the most options food-wise of anywhere. Um, when it comes to Western food, why don't we finish on this? When it comes to Western food in the HBC area or Itaewon area, obviously it's more expensive than Korean food. That makes sense. But um, what, what do you think about that? There's more options than ever before. Uh, are the options, do you think, do, do they control the price because you can go get pizza or spaghetti many different places now? Or do you think as more restaurants pop up and more options and, you know, pop up, does, does that mean the, the price goes up as well? I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I mean, there are affordable options. Um, um, there definitely, you know, there's a Moroccan sandwich place in HBC, which is very affordable. Um, I think it's like five or six dollars for a sandwich. It's a little that seems a little expensive, but for Seoul, that's cheap. Um, there, there are places the for, that are serving foreign food that are reasonably priced. I mean, Turkish kebabs are cheap all over the world, including Seoul. Even though they did raise their prices, they used to be like three bucks, and I think they're around five bucks or four fifty. Well, I don't mean to be a snob, but I lived in Berlin for a year, and I have nothing good to say about the kebabs here in Seoul. But you just have to go to the right place. There's a, there's a couple places in Taiwan that do a really good job with kebabs. I've also eaten kebabs in Europe, um, and they don't compare here. But there are a couple places that do it well. I remember um, in France, I was served a uh, like a lamb kebab, and the guy shoved French fries in there, and I was like, I don't don't put French fries in my. And he's like. If you don't get the French fries, you can't eat it. Oh, so he was like he was like the uh, kebab Nazi. Yeah, but it was good still. I thought it was going to be gross, but it actually ended up being pretty good. He's like, that's how I serve it. I was like, okay, but yeah, I, I thought Europe's kebabs are better. And I don't know why that is because it's Turkish people making them in Europe too. So well, I think the same thing is here. I, I know people are talking about like all the great pizza places there are in Seoul, but I'm sorry, no. I mean, if you spend a lot of money, I'm sure you can find some okay pizza here in Seoul. But everything I've seen, everything I've tried, and, and I'm sorry, just it, it's Korea. The pizza here is never going to be good like it is in the U.S. And I know that a lot of people would say the U.S. is maybe not even real pizza because it's you know more of an Italian thing. But um, there's there are just things that they are, man. That's how it is. The the kebab's never going to be good in Korea, and the pizza's never going to be good in Korea either. 
I don't know about that. I mean, there are places now that serve. I mean, I, I'm from Minnesota, so which is no, uh, in South Dakota, I'm from South Dakota, and I went to school in Minnesota. So there's no, it's not known. Those two states aren't known for pizza. But I, I think you know, I've eaten enough pizza. But if you, I've been to the Twin Cities, man. If you go to the Twin Cities and you go to like a nice place that have like some brick on the wall, they're gonna be able to serve you a nice deep dish sure. pie and it's just gonna i mean the tomato the, the problem here is that they don't get the flavors right like i've had mexican food here and like the flavors were all off like if you take a picture it looks great but they just don't know how to do the flavors and it's the same thing with the pizza i don't know i i think um the two places i like i like um, maddox in Taiwan. they're pretty good and there's a place in hongdae called monster pizza and it's not quite new york um quality like new york style quality but it's pretty good um it's they don't put corn on it or anything you know it's it's decent and they have like you know western beers and i think they're reasonable i think like a heineken's like three bucks there um and it's just a takeout place there are a couple good places that you know that do pizza um it's improving. I mean, there a couple of years ago that was not the case at all. But I think I think it. Sure. I mean, that's the general argument for Korea for everything, though, is that it's improving. It's getting better. I mean, that's what Korea yeah. does. You mentioned uh, final final point here. You mentioned pizza. I, I maybe I I um, oversimplified. I actually really like Korean pizza. When my girlfriend and I get pizza, if if we ever do, because we usually eat Korean food, I prefer a Korean style pizza because it's different and it is what it is, and I and I enjoy it. I guess what I was saying is that American style pizza just here is not. You like um, sweet potato on your pizza? I love the goguma. I love That's the sweet disgusting. potato. I love the weird like garlic yellow. Che- it's it's not cheese, but it's like a yeah. yellow garlic sauce. I like the pickles that the they sweet give pickles? you. Oh yes, I oh, love that's all that stuff. But it's different. It's not American pizza. It's Korean pizza. You know, it is what it is. Pizza school is not bad. I mean, and they even do like a foreign style, like pepperoni pizza. That's really cheap. It's Koreanized, and it's not too bad. Um, there are a few Korean chains that do okay pizza, but and it's cheap. Like of course, you know, like pizza school. I think. Yeah, it's fine. You know, I mean, if if I, I mean, even if I went to sort of like a chain type of situation in the United States, like maybe one of a better one, like a Papa John's, as opposed to going like a Pizza Hut, it'd probably be, you know, maybe maybe the price would be the same or a little bit more expensive, but it, you know, it, it would not be Korean pizza. So yeah. yeah, I I enjoy the food that we have here. I I have not a lot to complain about. In fact, I I didn't mention it to this person when I, when I interviewed her because you know I was just getting her perspective. But I think Seoul at number eight. Um, I don't think that's fair. Um, I've been to Copenhagen. Like I, I lived in LA. I think Seoul at number eight, um, maybe because they're comparing it with New York City, and I believe that includes having like a car or something like that. You know, you can find all these rules that they have on this. Just go to the Economist, and they'll have all that charts and and different things so you can compare. But I think Seoul at number eight is a little misleading. I generally agree. I mean, I guess again, from what they were saying, it your the currency affects it a lot. So. Um, I found Tokyo to be incredibly expensive, and I find it hard to believe that it would it would go from number one to number ten. I haven't been to Tokyo since about two thousand eight, so at that time it maybe was a little more expensive based on the value of their currency and deflation and all this other stuff that they mentioned. But um, I just find it hard to believe that it was able to drop or to to drop that much in such a short period of time. And three below Seoul, it's number eleven. Yeah, yeah, that seems. And I've been to Singapore also, and I found Singapore to be, at least with dining, um, to be very reasonable. I, I imagine um, renting an apartment there or driving a car might be a little bit expensive. But it, um, I think a lot of Singaporeans, they go across um, the border to Malaysia to get gas where they have you know cheaper gas. And you can go to Malaysia and buy cheaper goods 
um, as a Singaporean, I think you have free free entry into Malaysia. So I, I don't know. I, it seems like some of these other cities might be not so expensive or are more expensive. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's always hard with these surveys. It, they're always, they, they release these kind of surveys, not just The Economist, but all kinds of um, publications release these surveys saying, oh, this city is the most expensive city for expats. And every time that happens, um, you know, people are very um, passionate one way or the other about whether that city is expensive or not. So I think there's always going to be a little bit of disagreement on where is the most expensive city to live in the world. Um, it's definitely not Seoul. And I, I don't even know if Seoul really does belong in the top 10 or not. Probably not. Yeah, well, whatever position it gets, I don't think it should be linked once again with 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 Copenhagen and L.A. I've I've had experience. Little, yeah, I just visited Copenhagen, but lived in L.A. It's it's a completely different beast. Um, it, it really does depend on your lifestyle, but you know, yeah, and how much money you're making too, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, in Korea, one thing that I, you can, I think you could survive on two thousand dollars a month in Korea as a, like a, a newbie English teacher if you were given an apartment I think that's well, of course you could survive I mean everyone does it well, yeah but in New York City I I don't know if you could survive on two thousand dollars because they're probably going to take 25 percent out of your paycheck for taxes so you're already down to like 1500 plus you're not going to have a job in New York City that's going to give you an apartment if they're paying yeah. you two thousand yeah. dollars a month yeah. you're going to be sharing like a shoebox with six other people well you're gonna be living in what they call a micro apartment it's still gonna be bigger than the goshiwan that i lived in for a year and a half i get so upset how much do those run in new york you know what the- I, I i don't remember i just i i watch these videos because it's a pet peeve of mine when they talk about these people that are like roughing it in new york city it's like please the i encourage you if you if you want to check out these micro apartments in new york city nothing compared to a goshiwan not only that but when i took a shower in the goshiwan uh, the old men in my building, uh, I was one of the younger people and I was definitely one of the only, if not the only foreigner at the time, or, you know, white Caucasian Western foreigner. Um, there are actually some, some Asian foreigners that I would befriend while we were cooking in the kitchen and we would all kind of unite as the people who would complain because there were some older Korean adjushis who would like smoke, um, in the bathroom. And so you'd be like taking a shower and you'd come out and you just reek of cigarettes, but the water was hot, free rice, free kimchi, I have fond memories of my time at the Korean Goshiwan. I will remember it for the rest of my life. That's kind of funny because for that same amount of money in like Phnom Penh, Cambodia, you could have a like a huge apartment with a, a patio deck overlooking the whole city. You know, so it- yeah, tra- Travis, I think we're running out of time. <laughs> I don't really think I want to discuss that. So you're right. I you know I made my choices and I have to live with them. But uh, no, no, I mean, it's it's a good it's a good experience. I've lived in really small places in Korea too for very cheap prices. Like um, so, yeah, it's it's part of the Korean experience when you live here. So it is. And now I can bitch when I hear about these people in New York. Cause you know, it's like, uh, you know, once you do something, not to say, I don't want to compare myself with a veteran, but like, you know, once you've been to war, you come home, you feel like you can bitch a little bit. Yeah. Living in a ghost one year and a half. I can bitch. All right, Travis. Well, it, it, long episode longer than uh, some of the previous ones that we've done. Good discussion. Nice to speak with you. We'll put up another poll in the only in Korea Facebook group for our next uh, podcast episode for next week. And once again, leave us a voicemail. I think it really adds to the program. We love getting them. So that's koreafm.net slash voicemail. Travis, I'll talk to you next week. Yep. Thank you. Have a good night.